Welcome to the Unconquered Podcast, Hot Takes Edition. One of the issues with our team right now is, is, is mental toughness, uh, discipline, and, and um, execution. Blame no one. Make no excuses. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Unconquered Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Doc Staples, coming at you with your post-game hot takes after a 31-24 to loss for Florida State on the road to Virginia. And uh, this is actually a difficult hot takes podcast to do because, I mean, really, what is there to say? Uh, at, at a certain point, you are who you are. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to open this podcast by reading a tweet from a Florida State Hall of Fame defensive tackle, Corey Simon. Mistakes can be corrected. Effort is what you are. And, you know, at, at a certain point, this team has shown us what they are. They showed us a good portion of these guys showed us what they were last year. This coaching staff showed us a lot about themselves last year. And they, they basically continue to show them, show themselves for what they are. And so, I mean, this is first things first, this outcome is not surprising. This is not a surprising outcome. You you have the more talent, the clearly more talented team, the team that should have blown the doors off of the other team, if you look at who is actually on the field, that loses the game. But it's not surprising. I mean, going into this game, in the, in the preview podcast, I had Florida State losing 31-28. to 28. I was slightly over-optimistic, looks like. But, I mean, it, it, this is not a surprising outcome at this point. This team is what they are, and this is what they are. Now, there were some good things that came out of this game. I will, I will start with a few good things. Number one is that DJ Matthews was suspended for this game. Oh, I have been waiting for this day. I, I said on the podcast in the preseason that there were still a couple guys that I know from people within the program have used the C word about, people that don't generally use that word that are pretty careful that they used the, that they would, that they called a a couple of the players that were still on the roster cancers. And he was one of them. I wasn't going to name names until the guys decided, you know, listen, if they were going to reform and and, and walk straight and have gone through chemo and and have gotten right, then great. I'm not going to, I'm not going to toss them under the bus if they're still, if they're going to, if they're going to do things right. But he got suspended for this game because He's continuing to act out the way he has since he got on campus. See, and this is part of the thing. Like, listen, a lot of folks out there were upset when DJ Matthews wasn't playing in 2017. But you want to know why he wasn't playing in 2017? Because he was a donkey clown from the time he stepped on campus. In fact, if you go back to high school, I was talking to somebody who was familiar with with him in high school. And he's like, that that kid was a, like, he, he was just... I'm not even going to repeat the things that that he said about high school. And it's been that way since he arrived on campus. And so, you know, that's a a general rule of thumb. If if there's a favorite, really talented guy of yours 
who just isn't playing enough and you're past the midpoint of the of, of the freshman season and you're going, man, I can't believe, or even into the sophomore season, I can't believe they're not playing X, you know, my, my guy. I'm telling, listen, coaches don't generally prefer playing the less talented player. They don't enjoy that because, well, you're, you're less likely to win usually. So normally there's a, there's a reason for that. DJ's one of those guys. There were, there were good reasons, just like with Nooney Murray. There were good reasons that guy wasn't playing over Bobo Wilson until Wilson got hurt, and then they didn't really have much choice. When guys don't play, usually there's a reason. And, you know, the end. Of, anyway, so I was glad to see the accountability there. Now, is it too little too late? I think you could make a case for that, but good for them. Good, good that, listen, if you're going to skip practice and you're going to protest and do all this crap, you know what? Take a seat. In fact, you know what? We don't need to see you again. That's my view. But that was that was one of the good things. <laughs> so when one of the good things about a game is that one of one of one of the bad guys was uh, was suspended. Well, you know that means that you know maybe you're trying to find some good things. Some other things though that were reasonably positive. The defense was better in this game. This is a better offense than the ULM offense, and they didn't. They didn't give up the same kind of plays that they did to ULM. The run fits were overall better, not outstanding, not what you'd like to see, but better. Now, some of that seems to have been because they actually on first down in particular, but they went for a good portion of this game. They went back to a lot of the same defense that they ran last year, the same base defense that they ran last year. So, Quarters behind a one-gap scheme. So 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three really doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. It, it's, it's what you're asking your guys up front to do. And basically, they ask their guys to get downhill and not, uh, not two-gap, really. Just one gap, get penetration, trigger downhill, and try to, try to fill one gap. Uh, and, and they did that more, and I thought overall they did a better job on that than they had been in recent weeks. But they're still not, still not at the level that they need to be. Now, infuriating at times to watch a guy like 16, like, like Durden, who's a talented guy, just not take care of business in terms of, his, in, in terms of his run responsibilities. If you go back and you watch this game, watch how many times against the run you see 16 spinning, turning his back to the blocker. That is unacceptable. That, that, that gets you out of your gap. That creates seams. Does it? fundamentally unsound and honestly the defensive tackles have not played well in 2019 they just have not I've said that from game one that that's been maybe the most surprising thing because you know Odell Higgins is a is a really good coach has been for a long time he's produced consistent quality out of that position group basically since he's been at Florida State now this is the first year that he's been responsible for a, a three a full three-man line in the same way but that shouldn't make that much of a difference. It is a little bit of a scheme difference in terms of what they'd been asking them to do up, up until now. But, you know, you combine Odell being a really good coach and having produced really good defensive lines, defensive tackles in the past with the talent that they've got on the roster at that position, and you would expect more out of that group. And they're just, they're not good enough. And, you know, you could see that in, in numerous occasions in this game that 
having the extra beef on the field, that's great if you're stopping the run. But if you're not stopping the run, then the problem is when you get into situations where maybe you get a guy that actually beats a guy and now now you got a shot at, at Bryce Perkins, there are three guys on the field who can't can't get anywhere near him because they're just not quick enough. And, you know, those guys, they bull rushed and that was about it. They, they get upfield a little bit, but that's about it. There's no real pass rush threat on this team. And that is one of the holes in terms of the coaching staff. They don't have a guy on this coaching staff that really is a good pass rush coacher that coaches the pass rush well. And that's been a hole on the staff for a while. And that goes back even to the end of Jimbo's tenure when uh, Lawing had basically mailed it in, partly because he and Jimbo had gotten into uh, such a toxic place. So, yeah. And then, of course, your most talented edge guy looks like he's going to be out for a while. That that did not look good with 13. Uh, it's the best tackle that DeKalon Brooks, I think, has made in his Florida State career. Unfortunately, it happened to be against the lower half of uh, one of Florida State's most talented players, which just seems somehow really fitting. Uh, but, you know, five still needs to sit. Yes, 56 started the game. But you know what? Five just needs to not be out there. I mean, if you go back and you watch the two-point conversion, 35 has a chance to make the tackle, but he's kind of slow playing it a little bit before he tries to turn on the speed late. And, and then Perkins just kind of slips inside him. And that's not good enough. But then you got five who's in position right as Perkins is, is sliding back inside. Five has a chance to run exactly the right angle. And right as Perkins is slipping inside to, to pop him right before he crosses the goal line. There's your tackle. Instead, he just, I, I don't, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here, but he appears to just target one of the other Virginia players who's trying to come forward and block. And he appears to try to earhole him or just try to make some sort of contact on him just for the heck of it, rather than finding the ball carrier and making contact against the ball carrier. It's bizarre. It's baffling. And he's still out on the field. I, I just don't understand this. Put 42 out there who's played well in his few spots. He played well in the spring. You're going to get better out of him by the, by the midseason than, you than you've ever gotten out of five. It's, it's over. Move on. 11 also just basically, as far as I could tell, quit on that play. But, you know, 13's gone, so 11's got to play a bunch now. And, you know, this defense just, they don't make enough plays down the stretch. And you talk about a, a defense that decided at the end of this game that they just, I guess because they had a lead or something, they wanted to start celebrating and getting stupid penalties and, and forgetting their assignments down, down the stretch. And all discipline basically went out the window in the second half for that defense. And they're still plagued by poor zone drops, poor zone technique in general. You get guys, watch where their eyes are. In zone, yes, you do get your eyes on the quarterback, but you don't just stare at the quarterback and nothing else. You've got to match. You've got to find the guy on your zone and kind of keep your... It's like playing basketball where you you find the spot where your guy is and you kind of keep your eye on the quarterback with, with your peripheral if you have to. But you don't just stare at the quarterback with your eyes in the backfield. You 
put your eyes on the on the guy you're defending and peripheral you're you, you you've got both in 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 your vision and these guys just don't do that and that's just bad eye discipline over and over and over again this this team this defense shows terrible eye discipline over and over it's just so frustrating and you know in terms of pass coverage the the linebackers not named Lars Woodby are just not very good they're not good enough and even Lars Woodby his technique and all of that i'm not going to blame the kids on all these things when the same when 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 you're getting the same stuff from the same from different players that's coaching and so much of what we, we we see from the lack of discipline the penalties the the constant showboating the constant just attitude of this team that's on that's on coaching guys because you take on the, the persona of your team of your coach your team takes on the persona of your coach but they are who they are move over to the uh, offensive side before i move on uh, i do want to thank the three sponsors i know this is the uh this is the hot takes edition, but I want to thank Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. You know all about him if you listen to the podcast. EPR Creations. If you have any needs for website development or online strategy planning, any sort of any sort of thing like that, EPR Creations partners with small businesses to do that. They're really good at what they do. If you have any of those needs, let them know you heard about it from the Unconquered Podcast. Same thing with Garage Makeovers. They're the best in South Florida for remodeling garages, taking care of organization, polyaspartic flooring, all sorts of stuff. Give them a holler if you're down in South Florida and you need anything done in your garage. As always, really appreciate my three sponsors. Uh, really helps, helps things move along. All right, so offensively, I'm going to get back to Blackman really struggled. And I said in the preseason podcast that I, I, I'd been told that he was just not very good in, in, in camp, that he'd struggled. And I, I told people, listen, especially early in the year, this is his third offensive coordinator in three years, and this is a kid that was raw when he came in. Let's not have too high of expectations for him. And man, has he struggled. This, this, is, this is the most he struggled. But you know, he hasn't thrown a deep, the deep ball well all season. And I'd been told, and, I, and again, I said this on the preseason pod, he didn't throw the deep ball well in camp. Actually, Hornybrook threw the deep ball better than Blackman all camp. Hornybrook moved the offense better in camp. But Blackman's the, you know, the team leader. He's the guy that the team has rallied behind, so you kind of got to go with that. But honestly, at a certain point, Blackman struggles like this again. You've, you've got to start seriously looking over and saying, well, maybe, maybe you give Hornybrook a chance and see if, if, if he's able to move the offense a little bit better. And, you know, talk all you want. And I will talk a little bit about the, uh, the final sequence there toward the end of the podcast. I'll, I'll, I'll address that. Yeah, I know that's the elephant in the room. But the reality is that Blackman missed the opportunity to tie the game a few plays earlier when he badly overthrew a wide donkey open to Morian Terry. Perfectly called double move. Perfectly timed. Nobody around him within 10 yards. You just need to put... The only thing you can't do there is overthrow him. That's the one inexcusable mistake is to overthrow him. You can either put it on him 
or you can just throw it high enough that it's basically a punt and just make sure that, that he's got a chance to go up and get it because there's no one else around. And he overthrew him by like six yards. I mean, it wasn't even close. And that's been, that's been a regular this season. Think about how many times we've actually seen guys catch the ball on deep balls in stride. There's been like two of them. There's been a lot of deep ball attempts. And ultimately, that's the play that costs you the game. And listen, they got gifts to get down where they were. You got a pass interference that was close. It was the right call, but but close on a fourth down play. Then you get a unsportsmanlike call on the on the sideline. And then you get another fourth down play where you drop the ball. And that one was a, I think, ticky-tack roughing the passer penalty. I mean, he went airborne to try to uh to try to bat the ball down and then he just happened to come down a little bit on the quarterback and to me that's not roughing i'm sorry that's he's he's in the air you can't stop where you're going he's in the air before the ball was thrown so i I think that was a ticky tack call to begin with they were fortunate to be where they were they should have had you know should have been off the field already because of you know poor execution and, and not being able to do what they needed to do before but they got the gifts down the field and then they got a perfect opportunity to tie the game and you just you miss a throw that you know, the, the, I, I'm pretty sure some of our wives could have made that throw. I, I mean, what, what more is there to say? I know Sam Ponder can make that throw. I know that one of the one of the young ladies that I played uh, uh, co-rec intramurals with during my graduate school years at Florida State would have made that throw. Bridget Brush. I know she would have made it. But, you know... He struggled with that. And that was that was the ball game. That was the opportunity. And, you know, the, the ineligible receiver downfield uh, place where the line is a bit far downfield. First of all, it's obvious that Mendenhall really hammered that home to, in the in the coaches meeting with the uh, with the officials, wanted him to keep an eye on that. You got two calls on that. Good job by Mendenhall preparing him for it. But the reason that those calls are there is because he's late. You can't throw that late on the RPO. You got to make your decision and pull the trigger. You can't be double clutching. You double clutch, that guy's downfield. That's on you, quarterback. And then, you know, he did have some good moments, particularly on some, some of those throws over the middle. Uh, you know, you get uh, the, one, the one touchdown to Helton uh, that put Florida State ahead, uh, 24-17, I think it was at the time. That, that play was a, that was a good play by, by Blackman. Moved the guy with his eyes, moved the underneath coverage with his eyes, made the throw, good throw. But just not, he's not where he needs to be. And, and th- th- that raises the question of whether or not really he is capable of running what Bryles wants him to run at this point. Because if you can't make some of the, some of the layup throws that, that he missed in the second half, well, I mean, you got uh, not just the second half, actually, you missed a bunch of layups in the first half. Then, you know, that's a problem. Offensive line was okay. Obviously not good enough under 100 yards rushing. You know, looking at the numbers here, uh, 3.8 yards per rush. Now that, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, 3.3 yards per rush on 29 rushing attempts. They had plenty of rushing rushing attempts. They've tried to run it enough. And that, you know, includes a couple sacks, but, you know, that's just not, a, that's not successful enough. But it's not because the offensive line was getting whipped or anything. I mean, it's just not good enough. But where, where it really kills you is 6.3 yards per attempt. And, you know, just not not enough out of the offense that they're that they're running 
5.0 yards per play. I mean, that's not terrible, but not good enough. Now, you could ask the question of why go tempo with six minutes left, up one. <laughs> and I got that question. Why in the world would you go high tempo when you're up one with six minutes left? Well, first of all, you're not in four-minute territory. If it's four-minute, then you're trying to run clock. With six minutes, you got a couple possibilities. Main thing you know is that you need to move the ball. Because regardless of if you play it slow or fast, if you, if you three and out, they're going to get the ball back. And the slower you go, actually, if they get the ball back, the less likely you are to get it back yourself. So if they get it back and they score and go ahead, you want more time on the clock to, for when you get it back. So it's actually better to go higher tempo there and kind of two for one it like, like, a, like an NBA team would. So, you know, you got, say, 40 seconds on the clock when you get the ball as an NBA team. You want a two for one it. You want to go quickly score quickly so that the so that the opposing team gets the ball back with the 24 second clock going and then you're going to get you're going to be assured of at least one more possession so you can get two for one that's the same thing that you're doing there offensively for Florida State plus again philosophically they believe that the best chance they had to move the ball against Virginia was to get was to get out there and move quickly enough that they couldn't be, that they weren't that they were out of possession out of position and that's actually when they did move the ball the best when they got their tempo high and Virginia was just slightly out of position, they got a couple big plays out of it. But if they get it back and score after you tempo it, then you've got a chance. If they don't get it back because you move the ball, then okay, you won anyway. You know, if they get it back after you score, then then you're going to win anyway. So I got no problem with them going tempo there. Uh, now you can argue about the the philosophy of tempo in general. Uh, I'm I'm kind of neutral toward it. I'm all about efficiency. Whatever gets you more efficient is what matters. But, you know, I actually understand the, the rationale there. I have no problem with it because, again, six minutes left, you know that, you're, that they're at least going to get one more possession. And you might as well make it so that if they're going to get it one more time, you're going to get it one more time after them, most likely. And, and that's what they did, actually. So now I guess we, we do need to talk a little bit about the, uh, the last play. And, you know, I, I know that's something that everybody's going to want to talk about. And yeah, it was a mess. Um, and as far as I could tell, yeah, uh, uh, the clock operator wasn't exactly, um, I mean, there was, there was some home, home cooking there a little bit. And it should have been about six seconds. I mean, you, you, a second or, or so normally is going to run off when, when, a, when a guy is tackled before the, the signal to stop the clock happens and the clock doesn't stop until the signal happens. So I'd expect about six seconds to be on the clock when the ball is getting spotted. Uh, and then there's no chains to reset inside the inside the uh, the ten, so the reset time is however long it takes to spot the ball, and then for the uh, official to clear and give the signal. So I mean, you know, you're looking at eight seconds maybe, and I think that's about how how long the the clock was frozen. But it should have been six seconds instead of four there. Uh, but either way, you know, the offense has to do a better job of getting set quickly. Uh, they probably had some sort of off automatic call there uh, for that situation. I don't know whether they did or not, whether that was signaled or, or whatever. But you know, it's not the worst call. Uh, I I might have preferred maybe a fade, fade route or something like that. But um, you know, the thing about that is that you know you don't you don't execute it perfectly, and and it's hard to execute it really quickly like that. So you know, the thing with uh, with Acres gives you a chance to potentially fight in there. But you know it. <laughs> not having a timeout and having only four seconds and the confusion and all that 
it's just not, you know, didn't, didn't turn out well. And they, they didn't seem to be especially well prepared or organized to, to fight through that. You know, uh, 75 was late getting into his spot and 15 sure didn't act like it, like the game was on the line with the way he blocked there. So, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of get what you deserve and, and they, you know, the ball didn't lie in this case, Virginia deserved to win the game, even though Florida state was the more talented team. Bottom line, I feel terrible for guys like Cam Akers. You know, this this team is a very unlikable team, but there's some really likable players on this team, and Cam Akers is one of them. You watch that guy just fight and gut it out and and strain and, and struggle to do everything he could to get in the end zone at the end of the game. And the, a wide receiver in front of him, not the same fight. The offensive tackle there, he's late getting lined up and didn't even make make the proper block there. Not the same, but Cam fighting his tail off. And you know what? The pro scouts that I sat with in the uh, in the Chapel Hill uh, press box last week had the same. They had the same view. Uh, they, they were watching him on the uh, during the ULM game, and it's like, wow, that guy. It's like, but man, he's got to get out of there. I feel bad for him, and I do too. I, I feel bad for a guy like Cam Akers because he's putting it all on the line. But other, but people are noticing that. I just hope he stays healthy. I'm going to go ahead and close this with another. Statement by a Florida State Hall of Fame, FSU Hall of Fame defensive tackle. This one from Travis Johnson. He uh, he put up a tweet tonight that, once again, I think sums up a lot. And that is, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And then he said, 16 and 20, 24, 25, 7 and 5, and 5 and 9, because they will never change. Well, like I said last week, uh, it's really hard to see where things ultimately end up well from this spot. And I hate saying that because ultimately I, I've been rooting for, for all of these guys. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the, the product, the product is, is what it is. And it's been a deep hole to dig out of. And without seeing some really significant progress from here, it's, it's, it's getting increasingly difficult to see, you know, things ending well from here. I'm, I'm going to keep it real on that, but we'll go ahead and end it there. As always, want to thank the uh, those above the bleach or numbers bleach level at the uh, on on Patreon or Patreon as some of you prefer. Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, and Bert Bertoldi. Also, want to thank the three sponsors: Louis Marquez of Keller Williams in Jacksonville, EPR Creations and Garage Makeovers in South Florida. As always, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.